Good morning. Uh, my name is Monty McCullough. I'm one of the elders here at uh, Grace Hill Church, and it's my joy to be bringing the uh, Word of God to you this morning. Um, please turn in your Bibles or your apps to uh, Isaiah 55. We will uh, we'll also have it on the screen, but here at Grace Hill, uh, we want you to have it in front of you, whether in, in book or app form, so that you can see that... Uh, that, that we're not changing things around to what we want it to say, that it's exactly what your Bible says. Um, we think that's important. So Isaiah 55, and we'll get there eventually. Um, we've been in a series titled The Word of God, and this is the last sermon in that series. Um, my objective today is to give us the foundation and desire for pursuing God through his word. I want to show that joy is found in relationship with God. So, do you find it difficult, um, even some of the verses we read this morning on the screen, do you find it difficult thinking of God's word in these terms? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Uh, the rules of the Lord are more to be desired than gold and sweeter than honey. Uh, I delight in the law of God. Most of us, when we think of the Bible and we read the Bible, we're not thinking on the, in these terms. Instead, we think of it more in the area of learned discipline or duty in uh, order to grow our Christian life. Last week, our pastor, Alan, preached on the sufficiency of God's word to give guidance and wisdom in every area of our life. He reminded us it's a process and we don't usually or normatively get immediate answers to some questions we ask God. They're just not addressed in God's word. Should I take this job offer? Should I marry this person? Should I sell my home and buy one in a different location? Are there just a myriad of things that go on in our lives where we want to either hear from God about something or want to know why he's not answered or change things for us. For a year, I prayed that God would cause me to fall back in love with my wife, Lori. When it did not happen in the time I wanted it to, I would ask God, why? It's a good prayer. It's a right prayer. It's a prayer that is consistent with your word. What is the deal? Are you there? Do you care? What's wrong with this picture? Have you ever been there? Well, this is what I hope to help us process today and see the treasure that the Word of God is and that it is a huge game changer in the lives of God's people. Will you pray with me? Father, our greatest need is to know you. Many times we think other things at the moment are more important we get anxious and troubled about many things. We see things through a paradigm of prioritization based on the events and decisions that need to be made today or right now. Visit us through your word today to show us that only one thing is important to give joy to our hearts. Challenge us each with a paradigm that places nothing in front of knowing you. Give us a heart that worships. 
Bless the preaching and hearing of your word to anyone who's listening at this time of worship. In Christ's name, amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my beautiful wife, Lori, and I were walking down the street in our neighborhood. We were going to Walgreens where there is a red box, you know, one of those things that dispenses DVDs. While we were walking and talking, we were holding hands. A woman driving a minivan was turning in the street right in front of us, and as she was turning, she looked at us and she smiled. You know, that smile that says, isn't that sweet? (laughs) Well, I made the comment to Lori while we were walking. That woman was just thinking, look at that old couple holding hands. That's so sweet. Uh, When I told told Alan the the story and that I might use it as an illustration, he he said, she was probably thinking, how did that old guy end up with that young woman? (laughs) I'm not going to doubt that, uh, but this is my example. So uh, I will acknowledge that Lori is a beautiful woman and who does not look like she'd hook up with a guy like me, but she did, and I'm blessed. So I'm moving on with the illustration. (laughs) When most, if not all of us, were thinking about getting married, This is one of those thoughts or visions we had about the one we would marry. We thought about it growing old together and love getting better, each day getting better than the day before. We dreamed it would not wane but continue to grow. Now, I think most, if not all of us, can look at life and see that just isn't the way it is. We dream and desire that, But it just doesn't happen that way, does it? When we are in love and can't get the person off our mind, well, we write songs and poems. We write letters, or I guess now texts, that say some of the sweetest things. But it gets to a point where it isn't getting better than the day before, and the songs, poems, and letters wane. So how does a couple get to the place where they've been married for 38 years and still want to hold hands and are in love? Well, that's not the answer that we're here for today. But it follows the exact same path for the answer that we are going to discuss. And my personal belief is that this topic benefits and strengthens my marriage. How does one fall in love with the Lord so much that He is what drives our thoughts and actions? How does one get to the place where God's word is like honey to the taste? Or or when we find him through relationship, our hearts pant for him as a deer pants for the water. We can't see life without him. The Bible tells us that Job, after he finds out he's lost everything, including his children, he, he tears his clothes and falls to the ground, yet worships God. How do we get there? Some of us may think we don't want to get there. It is a question that I've wondered for years, and I believe that the Lord has given me a word on this in a way that does make sense to us, and we desperately want to believe it, but we struggle at best to get there. This is the reason that I gave the title to this sermon, The Reward of Love is Relationship. Think about it. 
You and I look at relationships, whether marriage or friends, in the same vein that we desire love. We want that feeling of ecstasy or union that satisfies the heart and is the drive of our hearts. The relationship has a huge benefit to us and gives us a feeling that all is well. When close relationships suffer, things in our world just don't go so well anymore, do they? There's worry, shame, judging one another, hardships, pressures to look okay, and pride takes hold of us, and we blame the other person. We look at it and say, what went wrong? What went wrong? We become anxious and troubled by many things in our lives at that moment. But if, if you ever have been in a relationship that has weathered the trials and difficulties and come out on the other end stronger because of reconciliation, love, and relationship, you find that the relationship is the treasure. Not the feeling of love. Relationship is the foundation that allows us to persevere. Love is the engine that grows relationships, and relationship is the reward of that effort and perseverance. Lori and I went through several years of relationship struggle where I was not doing the effort and perseverance of love, but just coasting along, expecting it to get better. I was not seeking divorce, and of course, it was her fault as far as I was concerned. So my short-sightedness saw the reward as being love and not a relationship that weathers storms. Who wants storms? If, if there are going to be storms with this person, then I want out or I'm not going to put my hopes and dreams in this relationship. Well, first of all, if you put your hopes in the relationship with another person who's fallible, then that hope will fail you. The first time you catch that person in a white lie or doing something they said they would not do or doing something that you would not dream of them doing, that hope is damaged, isn't it? The same is true if you put your hopes in a God who is fallible. By this I mean that if you have decided that if God were good, he would and would not do certain things. If you, you have decided who this God is, the minute something happens that you do not think God should do, that hope is damaged. You question God in what he does, and you doubt. When my hope turned to the God of the Bible, my hope became secure and has not waned. It has been challenged and caused me to seek God, but it hasn't waned. My heart became calmer and patient. Why? What do we see in God's word that will sustain that hope? God's word is where we find out who God is and where we get to know him. He has chosen to leave us this book that reveals himself to us. The Bible is a narrative about God. It's about him. It's not about you and me. We tend to look in the Bible for it to be about us. If God made a promise to someone, then it's for me as well. This is not the way we should read the Bible. 
we should not be looking for ourselves in its pages. If we are the center of the relationship, then that relationship will suffer because we are fallible people and we only love ourselves at that point. The minute we do something wrong or someone else does something wrong, then we think God is now in some way against them or us. This approach and thinking causes our minds to put the Bible in a useless position. You may say, Monty, that, that sounds pretty limiting. God is uh, bigger than that. Uh, I can't control God. How can I put his word in a useless position because I'm looking to it for answers? I mean, in fact, I have turned to the very thing we say I should be turning to for answers. We think that way, don't we? God is bigger than me. God is bigger than me. Looking to his word is where we should go. We can't control God. So what am I saying? I'm reminding us that the word of God is his revelation of who he is. He has given us his story from beginning to end of how he pursues us so that we can have the greatest treasure our hearts and minds could dream of having, a relationship with God, with him, the creator. He created us for that. Think about it. He made a garden a paradise and made man in his own image that man would reflect his glory, reflect him. He also gave man the freedom to choose to love and to desire him. As far as Adam and Eve knew, there was no evil. The serpent must have been good. Everything else was declared good. The fruit on the tree was even desirable and good for food. But God's word and God himself only become more desirable when you see the relationship in relation to who God is. The minute Adam and Eve went against the word of God, they realized they had broken the relationship. They hid. The day before, they were walking through the garden with God. They knew God. Now they had chosen to be their own sovereign and to decide when God reigns and when God doesn't reign. This is to forget who God is and to be self-appointed as the one who decides what I want in a relationship that serves my needs now and I start doubting God quite understands my situation. I have now become anxious and troubled by many things. I'm struggling to make it all work out while saying God is Lord. God promises a savior then, who, one who will defeat evil and make all things new again. He promises that right when he confronts Adam and Eve and the serpent. He pursues humanity from the very beginning. He made us for relationship to him. The Bible tells us how God, in one unified story, is on a mission to fix the broken image-bearing responsibility and purpose that we as humans are supposed to reflect. All through the narrative, we see that God is the one who continues to pursue. He not only gives humanity another chance, but a new start through the story of Noah. But humanity continues to choose to be their own sovereign. Then he calls a people out of the man Abram, Abraham and his wife Sarai, Sarah, through her 90-year-old womb, 
all to show it is God and not humanity that can fix this broken image-bearing responsibility. Abraham does have a son through Sarah, and it was a miracle at their age. His, his family ended up being a mess, but God was faithful in his promise that one day Abraham would bless all the families of the world. Then we had Moses, he who led the Israelites, God's chosen people, from Egypt to the promised land, and this was the land that God had promised Abraham that they would possess. God, along the way, has had Moses erect a tent, a tabernacle where offerings can be made for the forgiveness of sins to reconcile God and his people. God with his people. This is what the, 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 the tabernacle was for. It was, it was the house, the Ark of the Covenant, where God sat. The whole story is also a mess where the Israelites choose who is sovereign over them and who isn't. Long story, God puts a different generation in the promised land to give them a new chance. This ends up not going well either. The people no longer want God as their king. Now they want a king like all the other peoples of the earth. So they have decided who will be sovereign once again. God gives them a king who looks like a king to the people. Saul is the tallest, most commanding person in the land. But Saul wasn't a good king. So God chooses a man after his own heart, David, a shepherd boy, someone who has a relationship with God. He worships God. God renews his covenant and tells David that one day the king of kings will come from his bloodline, the one who will bless all the peoples of the earth and defeat evil and make all things new. David's son, Solomon, is the next king of Israel, and he's the one who builds the temple in Jerusalem, which will house the Ark of the Covenant and the place of sacrifice and worship. The tent, tabernacle, and temple were where the presence of God was with his people. It was God with us. All of this was by God's direction and design. Humanity rejected him, and he pursues continually. This book is about God with us. Next, God sends prophets to warn us to follow God and choose his ways. Humanity resists. God sends his only son, Jesus, born of a virgin. This is a complete act of God. Just like Sarai, not possible otherwise. He did this to show he is the promised one. He's the one who will defeat evil. Jesus lives a life that is obedient to God, perfect in every way without sin. He lives a life with God consistently as sovereign over his life. He teaches men, disciples, how to follow God and what that looks like. He's the final perfect sacrifice for humanity's sins. He dies on a cross, rejected by men. As atonement for those sins. Then he defeats death by resurrecting on the third day. This was God's will. He was the one to provide the atonement. The good news is that he pursued us and provided that and provided that so that you and I could know him and have this relationship that reflects him to the world.
The Bible continues with those disciples trying to tell the whole, to tell the good news of this gospel to everyone in the known world and give the hope that comes from the relationship with God that is offered through the repaired image-bearing responsibility we have. Though through the atonement of Christ, we can now be a light that shines in the darkness and bears an image of God that tells who he is and what he has done. When he is your sovereign, you can, with confidence, be filled with joy that comes from no other relationship. The love that God is, that he fills you with, will yield and does yield a reward of relationship. Please turn with me now to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 starts this way. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. John 7, 37 tells us, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Come to a relationship that satisfies Matthew 5, 6 also tells us, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is not something you earn. It's offered. And he's the one pursuing you. Isaiah 55, verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. John 6:27 tells us, "Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you." Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life. Relationship with God is what satisfies and gives delight. John 6:35 tells us, "Jesus said to them, "I am the bread of life." Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Continuing in Isaiah 55, verse 3, Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Jeremiah 32, 40 tells us, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. It's God doing this. Ezekiel 37, 26 says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. Going on to verse 5 in Isaiah 55. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. God has offered and is the one who fixes the broken image-bearing responsibility we have. He's the one who will cause your image-bearing to reflect him. He's the one that glorifies Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. 
Let the wicked forsake their, what, his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Why would he not? Why would he not? He's the faithful one who has pursued and pursued generation after generation, and he's the one that made the way for us to be reconciled to him. Why would he not pardon? Verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do we not see that a creator is higher than the creation? Do we not, do we question his ways? Would, would he not know what is best for us? Does he not know how to fix broken things? Is he not concerned with our anxieties and troubles? He is. Verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but they water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I have purposed and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is divine. Isaiah 40 verse 8 tells us, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. God's word has power that God has given it to convey and communicate to us. If we seek him, not our own glory, and gain, but him, he will reveal himself. And what will be the result of finding him? Verse 12, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth in singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. A name for the Lord. Isaiah 35.10 tells us, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The reward of this love that God has, cho- has shown faithfully and relentlessly is a relationship with him. He gave us this word in its entirety to reveal who he is. It's about him. He's the sovereign that we were designed to follow, know, and desire over anything his creation has to offer. We were designed to worship. Relationship with God through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ and receiving the indwelling of his Holy Spirit to comfort and to guide us is the great reward of this relentless love 
that we witness in this narrative. God with us. You and I must preach this good news to ourselves every day or we are prone to wander, prone to follow a lower way of thinking that seems to make more sense to us. We will drift because our ways are not his ways. We must remind ourselves who he is and be with him through his word. Now, don't think I'm saying that every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. We tend to think that that is what's being said. And we know it just doesn't work that way, don't we? The Bible does not tell us that it, that's how it will be while we are here waiting for Jesus' return. It tells us we will experience suffering and hardship and persecutions. The Bible is clear on these things. But he does promise to be with us. Relationship. He tells us storms will come. But if we hold fast to his teachings and follow him, he's with us and will sustain us. Make sure you understand that he sustains, not our feelings and not our circumstances. He wants to give you a different paradigm than being anxious and troubled by many things. He wants you to have a relationship with him that is the one thing that is more important than anything else. I'd like to give you a great example of the contrast of this relationship that we have in the Bible. It's a story of Mary and Martha who were close friends with Jesus. Both were believers, but one had a relationship that was worship. Let me show you. Starting in Luke 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Jesus was looking at their hearts. Most of us want to come to Martha's defense. But listen to what Jesus says about their hearts. Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. What one thing is that? Then he said, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. He wasn't saying you can't have her help. He was talking about the heart status. What is the one thing? What is the good portion? What is that? John 11.5 tells us that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So we know that these people were special to Jesus. And this next section is, is right after Lazarus dies. He's the brother of Mary and Martha. John 11, starting in verse 17, says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead four days in the tomb. Bethany was near Jerusalem, 
about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have died, would not have died. But even now, I know whatever you ask of, of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believe, lives and believes in me shall never die. Do, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha is a believer. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had, left, had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary falls at his feet. Quite a different posture before Jesus. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? When, when Jesus saw her weeping, he was deeply moved, it says. He knows and cares about our storms. He knows and cares. He knows. Then de Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Martha questions what Jesus is doing. Her thoughts are much lower than his thoughts. Even though he's told her he's the resurrection and the life, her, her paradigm can't handle that. Her heart is doubting and, remember, anxious and troubled by many things. Jesus said to her, said to Martha, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. I believe, I believe that he said this for Martha to strengthen her relationship with him. I believe he is pursuing her. Others too, but he addressed her right before this. 
When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Many people who were with Mary, who had heard from her about her relationship with Jesus, the Son of God, believed. John 12 is the last piece that we'll go through. And I'm closing. John 12, starting in verse 1, still Mary and Martha, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with them at table. Mary, therefore, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. She's worshiping. The house was filled with the fragrance of worship. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And, he, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Mary once again has a posture of worship. Martha is serving, and for all we know, she is serving in a joyful relationship with Jesus, the Son of God. But Jesus once again acknowledges that what Mary has will not be taken from her. Leave her alone. He is with her, and that's all that matters to Mary. In closing, if your paradigm is seeking God in relationship with God through his provisions to make that happen, you will be rewarded with relationship. He will show you how he loves you through his word. The reward of love is relationship. If your paradigm is one of just seeking answers to questions and relief from struggles, being anxious and troubled about many things, you are more you are most likely looking for answers that make sense to you. Our ways are much lower than his ways. And they won't make sense to you. Here's the good news. He does not intend to leave you and me in that lower state. He pursues relentlessly. Read this Bible, God's word. Look and see. If there's anyone here who would like to know more about this relationship 
or start this relationship, please come talk to me or any one of the leaders here at Grace Hill. Our purpose here is to see lives transformed through knowing God. When he is your sovereign, you can with confidence be filled with joy that comes from no other relationship. The love that God is, that he fills you with, will yield and does yield a reward of relationship. Will you pray with me? Father, in your word, you have told us, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Lord, what you have offered us is free for the taking. What you have given us in the act of pursuing us through the reconciliation of sins through the son, your son, Jesus. Our minds just don't wrap around that easily. That is so high above us. We find it hard sometimes, Lord, to, to see that. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your pursuit. Open our eyes that we may see that what you show us in your word about yourself shows us a God who desires for us to reflect your glory. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've given us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.